Outrage over the revelation that Cambridge Analytica data harvested 20 million Facebook profiles continues, but it's not the kind of outrage you might expect. Conspiracy theorists are being sued, and members of the deep state are flipping out over a new poll that indicates that 73% of the public believes in the existence of a deep state. You're listening to the Propaganda Report with Monica Prez and Brad Binkley. Monica, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm just noticing a lot of contradictions in the media. I know that's that's something that's brand new. You know, like yes. President Trump called Putin and he congratulated him on winning the election in Russia. And I didn't know that that was treason, apparently, because <laughs> Barack Obama did it in 2012. But now it's the worst thing in the world. Can I tell you what I think is going on? What? That before I'm really worried about war, about like their big war coming, because so many things are parallel to previous like buildups to previous big wars and it's not getting any press. So I don't think it's not being depicted that way as an official narrative. So I don't think I'm being led to this conclusion on purpose. But in England, you know, you see those clips of like Chamberlain and even the king abdicated because they were kind of pro Hitler. Remember that? Yeah. Do you remember Chamberlain's like, Mr. Hitler is a nice guy. So uh, they, the way they did it, uh, if, uh, one reading of that, going back and kind of correcting history, is that the people in England didn't want the war either. And if everybody in England, all the people at the top, had been saber rattling, the people would have smelled a rat. So the way you get the people not to take control is to make sure they think there's a real fight at the top, that your position is being defended at the top. Okay, maybe you lose, maybe the right side wins or whatever, but you think that that there's a genuine, robust debate going on. So if we're headed to war with Russia, and I think we might be, the best thing to get the public to think that it's it's inevitable, unavoidable, like there's nothing we could do, is if we think that, I mean, even Trump is against war with Russia. Trump is in bed with Putin and still he can't he can't stop the cogs of history from turning. Russia's out of control. You know, gee, folks, I did what I could. You know, I didn't want war with Russia. I just. We had to shoot off a couple of nukes or, you know, I don't think it'll be nuclear, but we had to do it. I mean, it's just out of control. And, you know, I'd be the last person to say we had to go to war with Putin. But so if I'm telling you, it's like when Manchin said, my people would never think that you would lead them to gun control. So whatever you if you will assure them that you're not doing that, you can do it and they'll believe you. Yeah, they need to think it comes from within them. A lot of the propaganda books talk about this. They'll have a policy that they want set up, but they need to alert the public's attention to the problem that that policy is going to claim to solve. So if that problem isn't on their minds, they have to put it in the public consciousness, which might be a reason for a false flag or a fake news story. If you can focus the attention on this like fake news, nobody was thinking about the problem of fake news until – September of 2016, when it was first introduced and pushed 
into the public consciousness. And the more and more they talk about it, the more it occupies space of people's mind. And then they start pushing the consequences of it, making people fear those consequences. And suddenly people start saying, we need to solve this problem. And they start having this public debate about it, during which the politicians will inject into the debate the solutions which they had already predetermined. And once the public is sufficiently certain of the potential dangers associated with this problem, they then demand of the government what the government had already decided to do beforehand. Stop using Facebook. That's what our solution would be, and that's what the solution should be. Or have a competitive marketplace for other types of Facebook uh tools that we can use and trust. But I have to tell you, I remember when Trump first said face fake news. Now, I will say what you're saying is true. And this, to me, is such an obvious example of how both sides are working towards what you're describing is described in a lot of ways. Problem, reaction, solution is a famous way people describe it. It's the yeah. dialectic. So but Trump, and I remember when he first started talking about fake news, Truth Dar Boy, my guy who predicted, as I think you did too, I remember you did, that Trump would win. So he's got, he's pretty savvy. And uh, he immediately pointed out that Trump's fake news, uh, you know, tirades would have a real impact on the First Amendment. And now I see it's both sides. Both sides are working towards it's the same thing with like election control, both sides on the on the uh, one side. It's it's this Russian election hacking on the other side. It's illegal immigrants voting for Hillary. No matter who won, you would still have both sides calling for election control, both sides calling for fake news control. And it's all coming out of it's all the solution they're offering is always regulation and control when in reality Always the right answer, in my opinion, to stuff like this is decentralization, less control, more competition. Don't subsidize one group over another so that there's this big monopolist in one field that uh, has all your information and and cut back on your reliance. But nobody is even suggesting that it's something we personally as individuals could just pull out of. Yeah, they don't ever suggest that. That goes against what they want to accomplish. They put the problems in our minds. They make us fear the problem. Then once we're ramped up and we need a solution for it, then they say, here are our options for the solution. And those options are the predetermined ones that you know they were going to put into play anyway. But by making the public get riled up and feel like they're participating in it by presenting them with a choice that they actively choose, the public thinks that it came from within them. But here's the thing. I would take it one step further, like I always do, and say the solution they wanted to implement is actually the solution to a totally different problem, a problem of them against us. So they're going to say that the problem they're trying to solve is fake news. But in reality, the problem is for them, they have to censor us for I thought just total control, because that's what they're after, total information control and ultimately total social control. But you and I have been batting back and forth uh, that this you made some uh, when you were mentioning this to me earlier, some brilliant points about how this censorship that I've been seeing um, or that we've all been seeing plays into all the other signs of real war that I'm seeing. Yeah, the patterns are very 
parallel to prior to World War One and World War Two. And what you said is dead on. They're not trying to stop fake news. That's all. The, the people who are presenting the solutions for fake news are the same people who first put it into the public consciousness. That first draft news group created the initial push of it. And they are also the group that was founded on the premise of stopping it. They didn't use that term fake news when they were first founded because they were founded two days after Trump announced that he was running in 2015. But they did inject it into the conversation a year later, as mentioned, they called it misinformation, disinformation when they were first founded. But now, after introducing fake news into the conversation, they are leading the charge against fighting fake news, partnered with all these international organizations, the International Fact-Checking Organization, funded by George Soros. I mean, here we have a perfect example of the problem-reaction-solution that you just mentioned. So yeah, they I remember. They're, now they're stopping it, but they're, they're not trying to stop it because they have – convoluted people's idea of what fake news is they're, they're making people believe that they know what fake news is that we re that we have identified the problem we're going to identify the solution and by doing that people will rest easy thinking that it has been solved therefore blinding them to the actual propaganda that is really you know everywhere all the time well and i'll say i did i wasn't keyed into that fake news meme right away uh, I remember you saying that. I remember Truth Dar Boy saying that. And uh, but I did see very clearly when I wrote on November fourth, twenty sixteen, right before the election, where there was simply no doubt in my mind that Hillary was going to win. I mean zero. I wrote an article I've referred to numerous times because it was basically the most one of the most prescient things I've ever written, teeing it up for the censorship president. And I had two elements of it. Vern Jordan saying we need Google, Twitter and Facebook to crack down on uh, the news that and he I don't think he used the expression fake news, although it's after your September date. So he could have. But uh, he talked about the um, you need to delineate facts from lies for people. It's an important civic role of the free press is yeah. to filter the news. But in that same article, I wrote that Melania Trump, who I thought was going to be a nothing, a has been and also ran, you know, for first lady or first gentleman would have been the alternative. But she and I said, I don't understand why she's coming out as if she's going to be first lady and use bullying as her, uh, you know, is the topic from her bully pulpit. And I knew that the bullying thing uh, that she was identifying about how Internet bullying is a scourge on society, uh, that that, too, would play into this censorship uh, agenda, which I was writing about at that time. And just last week, she uh, took her first steps towards coordinating, I don't know with whom, maybe big tech, on cracking down on Internet bullying, which is really just free speech. I mean, bullying is one thing, but it cracking down, we already have uh, systems for threats. That's different. But just get your kids off this stuff. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're coming out, the Facebook guy that we did a show on that, like, who's obviously running a PSYOP, uh, is like, oh, Facebook's terrible, blah, blah, blah. And like you're saying, the solution they're offering is to say, well, we need to fix Facebook. And I would say, yeah, just unplug it. Forget it. Yeah. I feel like I think this whole fight between Mark Zuckerberg and everybody who's calling for regulations, and I have a bunch of clips, and we'll talk about the Cambridge. He's going to do a show tonight, actually. We're missing. Yeah, I know. I saw that. Yeah. 
I think that whole thing is fake because he's already worked with the Chinese government and he's worked, I believe, with other governments as well. But if he were to just openly work with the United States government, then we would be like, wait a minute. The government's controlling Facebook openly. That's not cool. However, if he creates a problem that makes us fear that all of our personal data is being invaded and shared, then we will demand that the government and Mark Zuckerberg work together to stop it. So Absolutely. I- At this point, he is as created a person, in my opinion, as Taylor Swift or Katy Perry or any of these young people who – and some of them don't make it. Britney Spears, you know, she's doing okay, but she wasn't able to be the powerhouse that Miley Cyrus is as far as a culturally corrupting psyop, a psychological operation. This guy, I think, is in a similar mold. He's not Warren Buffett. He may be like Bill Gates type. I don't, I don't know how deep Bill Gates's roots go in that regard. But these guys, I believe, are are basically constructed from a pool of 20 guys, you know, they see coming along, they VC them, they incubate them. And whoever looks like they can carry the weight, kind of like how Obama emerged and maybe Stacey Abrams is going to emerge as in a competitive field, someone who can be a truly manufactured person and then proceed to exercise this social influence. Yeah. I've heard and of he's people. a robot. He's totally a robot. <laughs> Let's play some of these clips. The Cambridge Analytic thing, if you haven't heard about that, I'm sure you have. It's been a pretty big news story the past couple of days. A whistleblower, Christopher Wiley, who is like a genius techie or something who helped start Cambridge Analytic. Cambridge Analytic is a data mining and strategic communications firm that worked with Ted Cruz's campaign, Trump's campaign, and has actually worked with a lot of other you know politicians and business leaders. And it was revealed by this Christopher Wiley that they harvested data from 50 million Facebook profiles, which as of now, they're not saying that it was done illegally. But that guy came out and he was basically revealing how they propagandize people. But the, the, the thing is, though, he was revealing what's been done for the past 100 years by people with money and power pretending as though it's a brand new thing the only thing that's new is that it's being applied to this new technology that we have but the concept has been around forever edward bernays talked about it in every single one of his books i'm going to play you a clip and every single thing this guy talks about except the specifics of facebook edward bernays Harold Laswell, Walter Littman, they talk about all the time in their books in the 1920s and 30s. So let me play this clip of Christopher Wiley from Cambridge Analytic describing what his pitch to Robert Mercer was. And in this description, he's telling us how they work. We're being made aware of how all these things work. On purpose. Yeah, on purpose so that we can think it's going to be solved so we don't pay attention to it anymore. So here's Christopher Wiley. The pitch was that we were going to combine micro-targeting, which had existed in politics, but bring bring on board new constructs from psychology so that we wouldn't just be targeting you as a voter, we'd be targeting you as a personality. In order to scale that, we would then be collecting a lot of data on people so that we could build a psychological profile of each voter in a particular region. We would know what kinds of messaging you would be susceptible to, including the framing of it, the topics, the contents, and where you're going to consume that. 
And then how many times do we need to touch you with that in order to change how you think about something? Instead of standing in the public square and saying what you think and then letting people come and listen to you and have that shared experience as to what your, what your narrative is, you are whispering into the ear of each and every voter and you may be whispering one thing to this voter and another thing to another voter. We risk fragmenting society in a way where we don't have any more shared experiences and we don't have any more shared understanding. If you want to fundamentally change society, you first have to break it. And it's only when you break it is when you can remold the pieces into your vision of a new society. Okay, first of all, there's a lot there. The Facebook thing is not new at all. I'm going to play you some clips in a second from people who worked with Obama's campaign admitting that it's not new at all. This, this whole thing about data mining Facebook was done in 2012. Obama was like the first to really do this, and other groups have done it as well. And what he's talking about is creating an ideal customer profile. This has been done in business for 100 years. There's nothing new about this. And the thing about whispering in people's ears is a direct line from Edward Bernays' book. I think it's engineering of consent. It might be propaganda, but he says you will be able to whisper in the ears of every American in every household across the country with these new advances in mass communication technology. So this is verbatim language from Edward Bernays a hundred years ago. And he's acting like this new concept of combining psychology with a voter profile. And that's so bogus. The, and I think the outrage about it is bogus too. Which it's interesting, and I'll play you another clip in a second that illustrates the reaction to this, is the reaction you would think right when you first hear the story is going to be, oh, it's going to be all about how Trump is a cheater, and, and this is just another, another example of how he cheated. But that's not the reaction. The focus isn't on that. In fact, they underscore that. A lot of people who Underplay normally – Underplay that. Yes, because they don't want us to focus on it. They've created in the public mind this idea of what fake news is, that it's somebody who talks about conspiracies. Everybody's talking about how this stuff doesn't work, the Cambridge Analytics stuff. Nobody really knows that it worked or not. I'll just play the clip of some of the reactions from people who normally take any opportunity to bash Trump underplaying the effectiveness of this tool that Cambridge Analytica used. And they have a reason for doing it. Now, this is kind of a montage of like Brian Stelter, Jake Tapper show, Pod Save America, which is hosted by people who worked in the Obama White House. I'll tell you more about them later. These are people who normally bash Trump, not seizing an opportunity that normally they would seize. I'm just trying to help people understand like this specific work that Cambridge Analytica did, because I think there was a sense after the election that we got smoked in terms of online organizing by the Republicans, that we were way behind them all of a sudden. And this was like some groundbreaking new stuff. And I don't think that's really the case. Like, I think in 2012, the Obama campaign had supporters install a Facebook app, and that gave you an option to share your friends list with the campaign. And then when you did, they would run those names against a voter file and make targeted suggestions. It is true that previous campaigns have data mined and used all sorts of psychological graphing of individuals back to to the micro-targeting campaign of 2004. Frankly, when Obama was doing a lot of kind of shady, creepy data mining, with Facebook's approval, by the way, some some folks on the, their team have said, look, they let us blow through all of their guardrails because, frankly, they liked them. CBS is reporting that the, the psychographic data, which is kind of questionable to begin with, uh, did not actually end up being used because the RNC's data was far better, which seems like uh, an important distinction to me. 
couple bottom line facts here. We don't know how much this Facebook data helped or didn't help the Trump campaign. There's been disputes about that ever since Election Day about how important this Cambridge Analytica company was to helping Trump get elected. What we do know is that this is another black eye for Facebook. Okay, so you would expect the story coming from this group of people to be that evil Trump uses evil company and its dangerous, quote unquote, new psychological profiling approach and tool to manipulate society. We should all be afraid of this type of tool and this type of approach to manipulation. But that's not what it is. Instead, they focus on Facebook and how vulnerable our personal information is in the hands of an unregulated Facebook. That's what they go on to talk about. And they act like, oh, this pseudoscience, psychological manipulation approach, who even knows if it works? Ah, who knows? They, they, you know, they, they underplay it. But here's the thing. When used correctly, it absolutely works. It works brilliantly, and they all know that, which is exactly why they don't want us to know that. They all do the exact same thing with the help of whatever micro-targeting and data analytic company that they work with. This sophisticated psychological manipulation tool and this approach has helped all of them spread the kind of fake news that sometimes never gets exposed, the type of stuff that leads countries into war on a pretense. That's the true propaganda. That's what they all depend on. So they can't have us focusing on that because we might start to think about it. We might start asking questions about it. Heaven forbid we might start understanding the propaganda that's operating on us all the time at a deeper level. And that terrifies them because critical thought is the death of propaganda. So they underplay it and shift attention to what their main agenda is, and that's Facebook. Yeah. The media is reporting on this undercover audio of the Cambridge Analytics CEO, which was obtained by Channel 4 in England. The CEO of Cambridge, Alexander Nix, was caught on tape, quote-unquote, boasting about how much they did for Trump's campaign. This was framed in the media as they claim. I got to say that I read an article about that last year about that guy, Nick, saying he did that stuff and then coming out after he had said that in a speech saying, yeah, I was just exaggerating. I didn't really do it. Absolutely. Today's article I read had some similar stuff. And he said the same thing. But, I mean, it's so weird to me that this is on the cover of the Wall Street Journal today. I, I read it six months ago. I know. It's crazy. I, have a lot I remember to you say talking about, about, about that. You just, about uh, this clip, let me wrap so, up uh, yeah. one quick point, and then you can take it away. All right. The reporting in this undercover audio has been more about, hey, look at this corrupt dude that Trump worked with who claims that his company helped Trump win the election as opposed to being about – pulling the curtain back on this approach to mass manipulation that everyone in power is using against the public. So they still avoid the thing that they don't want us to focus on. In fact, CNN even presented the undercover audio in almost its complete context. They reported correctly that Channel 4, the guy who went undercover, posed as a potential client and that it's likely that Alexander Nix was exaggerating, kind of like you just said, that he didn't really mean it and that the impact that they had wasn't really what he said it was because they were just trying to win business there, so he was boasting. And that actually checks out when you listen to the audio and you look at the timeline because in the audio, Cambridge implies that they created Crooked Hillary. Like this is their thing. They imply that they created Crooked Hillary. But Trump didn't hire Cambridge until – July or till June, actually, and he was using Crooked Hillary back in December. They were chanting lock her up back in April. 
So they didn't create this. Trump already had the messaging. He already had the psychometric data, probably from somebody who's a lot better at creating a psychological profile than Cambridge. They all probably had data better than Cambridge's data. That's probably why they're putting Cambridge out in the public because they're not as good as the others at it. So they were exaggerating their role. In fact, they talked about the super PAC that they had make smear commercials, implying that this super PAC was spreading its message and touching all corners of the world. But I found the YouTube page of this super PAC, and they only have a 1,000 subscribers. Now, that's good for a small YouTube channel, but not a super PAC that's trying to change an election. So, yeah, he was exaggerating his impact. The thing you said about it not uh, – they want you to think it doesn't work. That's what they said about subliminal messaging. Do you remember that? They said subliminal messaging doesn't work. They used yeah. to put, like, popcorn frames in your movies. Yeah. It totally works. Absolutely. So does hypnosis. and You know what I mean? That stuff totally works. And they act like it doesn't, so you don't worry about it. But this, this whole thing, I noticed uh, – I realized, and then once you – sometimes once you realize something – then you hear other people say it and you understand it in a new way. So I'm not saying it was my idea, but I figured it out on my own. So when other people say it, I'm like, yes, I totally think that's true, which is that. And I totally, I totally don't hear people talk about just truth in advertising as being a subsidy to advertisers because you would just be skeptical and like, the censorship laws of taking nudity out of movies and TV and stuff, that was to get movie theaters and TVs into your world. Like you wouldn't be afraid of them. We've talked about this before, but it occurred to me that uh, they, what they're doing now, censoring Facebook. I, I think I don't hardly use Facebook anymore. And I know the next generation doesn't. I think Facebook, as far as the United States anyway, is probably plummeting in in user rates like relevant demographic rates uh but in in any event by censoring it maybe imposing regulations on it that only a really big um capital intensive or capital rich company could implement all of these safeguards you make it so it's a regulatory barrier to entry. I've talked about it many times before. You make it so nobody can uh, can compete because once you establish in the law that you that the technology is reasonable for you to protect the public, it's like seat belts and airbags and stuff. Once once it's clear that it is a viable technology, then people can start suing you for not implementing it. So if they prove that you can successfully censor Facebook, startups will all have to meet that standard and they won't be able to. You know what I mean? So that that's just one of numerous things I have to say about this clip. Yeah. We'll keep things. going. All right. So uh, this Cambridge Analytics, Analytica, whatever it's called, I talked about it on air, on my blog or whatever. When it first came out that Ted Cruz was using it because he w- they were texting People inside, like he was doing an IPAC or like some Israeli uh, lobby conference inside a hotel, some casino, if I recall the story correctly. And they would text to people whose phone numbers they had who were in that building one message, but it wouldn't go further than that radius. And then they would text to other people further afield a totally different message. So don't tell me for one second that it doesn't work. That works of course it's targeting advertising but then 
Trump started using it and then it got in the news. And then uh, there were numerous articles in the Wall Street Journal about Robert Mercer, who is the man, the billionaire, whatever, behind Cambridge Analytica. And I pulled an email that I had sent to Truth Dar Boy, who I know is on top of this, saying, why would the Wall Street Journal write a story on Mercer? Somebody that high up would be ignored, if at all possible. So I'm assuming this is a whitewash or we're establishing a legacy here. Or maybe there's another shoe to drop on that guy. So so that kind of thinking, I wrote that in February 2017. So I, I'm just, the reason I'm saying that is not like, oh, I'm so smart, but is that... <laughs> When, you know, is that if you see it, a, a tenet of a reasonable hypothesis is its predictive ability. You know what I'm saying? Like in science, well, if your agree, hypothesis yeah. predicts. So I'm saying I was like, they're not feeding us this Cambridge Analytica stuff for no reason. It's going to play into their hands. They're not. It's at the very least a limited hangout where they're giving us information. They're going to use this. They want us to be aware of this. And they're going yes, to use it. And now they're used to be afraid of, of social media, of what can happen to us. Yeah. Now I see that at the time. I didn't, I had right. no idea why yeah, they were doing you, it. I do. I remember you bringing it up. You, you were on top of it. And the Mercer, the idea that Mercer was in the news. I mean, he's a shadowy character. He's behind Kellyanne Conway. He was behind Bannon. He's a, a you know, a guy who would want to keep out of the spotlight if he really wants to, you know, pull the string. So, a guy, they're recruiting him for a psyop because it's it's necessary, you know. But I, I, they never would have written an article about him if they weren't if there wasn't a purpose to it that was ultimately going to turn around and play into their hands. Yeah, and it, the other shoe is dropped, and that's something that's easy to recognize. And I don't mean that. I mean they are big picture. Long range planners. They play the long con, you know? And yes, we live our lives. That's what people don't realize. Yeah, long, our, long. Right. 10 it, years long. Absolutely. Even longer than that. Brene talks about 50 years. You should see Trump smirking in his Comedy Central roast in 2011 when they're making fun of him running for president. He's just like, absolutely like, ha ha ha. <laughs> you got, you are really, say what you want now. I know, and you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And that was whatever. How many That's years ago? Funny. Seven years ago. I don't think ago. I can watch that. Oh, it was so offensive. <laughs> the people were saying was just stupid and disgusting. Those, yeah, those roasts are already always pretty hard. One chick even took shots at like uh, special needs kids. I don't know. You know, that's just stupid. But at least they had free speech in those days. Right. And now they're no, I don't kind care. of cracking I'm not down on it. To, you I can't like even it. joke. You cannot even joke about stuff like that. Did you see the guy who got arrested because his, he did made like a, a jokey Hitler video because his dog kind of looks like Hitler? Oh, my God. He wasn't like promoting Hitler. He just right, right. made a jokey video about it, and he's in trouble. He's over in the UK. Yeah. Did you have another point? Uh, oh, I did. Oh, oh, Wiley, another thing I meant to point out to you. Oh, I, yes, I, I do. I do. Wiley yeah, I said the thing about – he emphasized, he didn't say the exact words, but he echoed the tone that Obama started spreading a while ago. The common set of facts, the one understanding. We yes. Have, yeah. Which is crazy. That's exactly what you do not want. You know what I mean? That's what freedom of speech is all about. That's what discourse is about. It's that competition I'm talking about. You need the competition 
of ideas. It's, it's, uh, I, I really drill down. It's that common set of facts. It's, uh, it's this PC thing too. It's like, there are no two sides. It's, it's very one party, which by the way, I have to say the only thing worse than two parties is one party. And I see these Republicans stepping down. It's like a, a cascade, an avalanche of Republicans stepping down before the 2018 midterm. I am really convinced that the enemy of the state is the, the small government voter and that the Republican Party, when I read Neoconservatism and auto, the Autobiography of an Idea by Irvin Kristol, he absolutely... Uh, it transformed the Republican Party into a big government party. And and not only that, but they don't even want the Republicans to exist. I'm talking about the Republicans themselves, that they're all stepping down. I mean, it's it's really in a way like treason because they're moving us to a one party system against our will. But that's a complete aside. I still have one more point. Okay. On the, so at the end of your uh, that clip you played, the guy said. Wiley said uh, that you're going to tear down the world and build it up again. Can you just play that last 10 seconds? Yeah. And we don't have any more shared understanding. If you want to fundamentally change society, you first have to break it. And it's only when you break it is when you can remold the pieces into your vision of a new society. That is sick and scary, and it's exactly what... uh, um, I guess there are too many things. Obama said he wanted to fundamentally transform society. Yeah, and that's I think, why. I, yeah, yeah. The pendulum swinging from him making doing what he could in good faith, like the left can always usher in collectivism on its face. It's like white propaganda. The right has to do it, like these subversive Republicans has to do it under false auspices. So it's like black propaganda. So Trump is doing it by getting reactions that will start this blue wave so he's being outrageously so far not even not even far right but like he's just sparking reaction and that's that's additionally playing into the hands of the left but that idea of breaking down society i said when facebook said they were going to curtail their news feed I wrote an article this was in january 12 2018 saying this is the headline of my article Facebook will tear down its model just to build a more controlled news feed. And then I went in and talked about how uh, Scientology, their method, somebody told me this, I don't never experienced myself, is that they tear you down so that they can replace your very essence with their philosophy. Yeah, that's the same concept that you see in communist propaganda and really any propaganda. Anybody who's trying to concentrate control breaking up the family because that family just like the tribes the tribes is the is where you your values go to is where you re, you defer to it's what protects you that's from the, the open world. society yeah. open society by george soros break down the tribes no tribes yeah they did that in china they that's i mean that's the biggest obstacle to being able to implant a system of values within the person so if you break up the family, then they're going to be a lot more moldable. That's why it's revolutionary and not evolutionary. They have to destroy in order to build up. And I, I actually feel like some of the reason that we just destroy, bomb out Syria, which Damascus is the oldest 
continuously existing city on Earth, as far as I know. Like it's been a city constantly without pause for 3,000 years, something like that. Wow. And uh, yes. And and so it has like living relics almost. You know what I mean? Like it's it incorporates into its I don't know, I have never been there, but my grandmother, I believe, was conceived there <laughs> because she was born on the boat and her mother died in childbirth and then she was raised in an Irish convent. Here wow. In, yeah, in New York. You here. know, SNL makes York. fun of Irish people. Uh, you should be offended as really? a, as a citizen. It's the only people they can make fun of, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yes, as I a think citizen so. of Ireland, St. Patrick's Day just passed. Today is World Down Syndrome Day. I got one of those too, and he is a citizen of Ireland. That's not a coincidence. Wow. Uh, what day? This is World Down Syndrome Day. Three twenty-one. Oh. You know, three twenty-one. It's the twenty-first chromosome. He's got three copies of that. That's interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. That's, yeah. Yeah. So I was a little worried about euthanasia because. Um, like in Germany, the Pope's cousin was 15 years old. And when the Nazis took power, he had, this kid had Down syndrome. They just took him away. And, uh, you know, they had a euthanasia program for that kind of kid. So I worried, you know, because I think this country is going crazy. So I, I got him uh, uh, citizenship in Ireland because they have a lot more Downs kids. They couldn't just eradicate them overnight like that, I think. Anyway, so... um Oh, Damascus. Oh, I think that they bomb those city. They bomb the the history out of people because that's part of tribal cohesion. Oh, yeah, they definitely want to get rid of any history that runs contrary to the new ideology or the new belief system of the rulers anyway. Trump actually got into some big trouble or no trouble at all, but a big scandal. He bought the Bonham Teller building in New York to build Trump Tower, which was his first kind of iconic building. And uh, Bonwit Teller, Bonwit Teller. And it had some Art Deco sculptures like, uh, I think they were almost like gargoyles or whatever, bas relief or something. And his agreement with the city or with the person who sold it to him was that he was going to preserve those things and he just blew them up. And it's like, you know what? No. <laughs> what did he blow up? The Bonwit Teller, it, it was an old build. It was a, he bought a historic building. The reason the building was even still there as a place to build a new building for him was that it had been protected as a landmark. Yeah. And uh and he said, "Okay, I'll, you know, I'll take it down stone by stone." And uh and that's how he got permission <laughs> to build there and he just blew it up. Yeah. Fifth Avenue, Bonwit Teller, opulence lost, vanished landmark. Here's what Saul Alinsky says in his Rules for Radicals. It should be remembered not only that the action is in the reaction, but that the action is itself the consequence of reaction and of reaction to the reaction ad infinitum. The pressure produces the reaction and constant pressure sustains action. If you push a negative hard and deep enough, it will break through into the into its counterside. This is based on the principle that every positive has its negative. We have seen this in the conversion of the negative into the positive and Gandhi's development of the tactic of passive resistance. That's interesting to me because that is – we talk a lot about, about the reaction, and to me, that's what makes it difficult, truly difficult to tell who is – working with them and who is simply being co-opted because the tactic is always 
push really hard to call to anticipate the reaction do what you need to push really hard to cause that reaction and once you cause that reaction you take the action that you had already decided that you were going to take you just needed that reaction to justify it in the minds of the people i i can definitely see how somebody like trump could just be playing into their hands in that way for sure i don't believe for a second that he doesn't know what's going on I don't. Well, not maybe. Well, it's, it could be. Wait, now I don't know who's on whose side. Just yeah. But it's a uh, both sides are going to be playing that game. So it's a game of. I reaction. don't think there are two sides. And I'll tell you, when this was all coming down and Trump won over Hillary, and everyone's like George Soros is going to jail, I said, let us see if George Soros doesn't land on top in the end, or his cabal doesn't land on top in the end anyway. Which would what I was saying was. That supports my belief that there are not two sides, just the illusion of two sides. Now, that still doesn't mean Trump is in on it, but I do think he is in on it. And I think part of it is that his personality is so gigantic that he can carry the weight of a 24-7 news cycle across TV and radio for probably four years straight, and people will be distracted by it and not notice that he's marching us to war or that total information state or whatever like that. I think he is such a massive psyop. It's not, there's nothing accidental about it. I hear what you're saying. I think there's like eight factions, factions of elites. I think that they're probably yeah, I understand that stab theory. each other in the back all the time. A lot of I think people a fight think for ultimate power. They might work. They probably do work together quite often to suppress the, you know, the little guy, the population. But I think in the end, they are all gunning for the, to be the top dog. But what is the top dog? The guy who runs the institutions, the, the head, you know, what do you, what do you mean? What's the top dog? It's a hierarchy of institutions structured on a scaffolding. The scaffolding of the institutional structures that is creating this, what is really the world corporation, not the world government, it's it's monolithic. It isn't, It you can't, I don't think there can be a rogue one because it's too complex. It's been in the works for too long. Okay, I think I maybe they're struggling to, to, they're vying for power as individuals, but the the bringing the world together under this umbrella they're all working together for it some people don't know it yet and as they ascend it's like the the what they say about the masons i don't have first degree right. understanding but they say it's like the 33rd degree you don't even know what it's all about till you're at the absolute yeah. highest level yeah i was speaking more towards the individuals involved so that i think that those two theories could probably work together individuals Yes, but we're, control of the, the but to me, that's the soap opera part. And it's not really important because not unimportant. It's kind of interesting and it could explain a lot. And I absolutely believe that they let most of this stuff happen organically like that for, first of all, because it doesn't matter to them. And second of all, it lends a tremendous amount of credibility to the whole um, process that there's a give and take at every level, which makes us feel better here at the bottom. But um but it's it's still that's just the soap opera stuff. What we really need to focus on is whether it's Obama and and it's out in the open or it's Trump and it's reactionary. They are all working towards subduing the Middle East, uh, compete, you know, uh, bringing Russia to heel when it comes to energy worldwide uh, energy control, perhaps um, when it comes to total control of 
food production or information or independent movement like transportation, no matter who is up at the top, we it's all marching towards redoing infrastructure to usher in driverless cars, um, getting people off the land and into the city so that food production is under increasingly centralized control, controlling how gas gets into Europe, whether it's through Turkey or Ukraine, you know, like nobody, the policies aren't changing no matter who we think are in charge. I can see that. You alerted me to another quote that I had highlighted in Solinsky's book. Power is not only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have. And then he goes on to say a few pages later, the ninth rule, the threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. He talks about projecting that idea of being bigger and more powerful than you actually are, which is totally mirrored in the Indivisible Guide. They instruct, go to the rallies, spread out, make it appear as though there's a lot more of you than there actually is, which is why they say we're in every city, every district across the country, because they're trying to appear like they're a lot bigger and more powerful than they actually are. I can give you a real life example of how that alone can be the deciding factor in an outcome. All right. Okay. Libya, people don't realize this, like Benghazi, Benghazi was about moving arms from Libya to Syria. The Libyan taking over Libya and taking over Syria were basically from what I, you know, what I only know what I pieced together from reading, but I'm going to tell you the narrative as I understand it. Libya and Syria overthrowing those countries was basically a simultaneous like parallel uh, project. Libya, the first thing we did or our agents did in Libya to to overthrow Gaddafi was to take over all of the press and immediately blast the message that it was hopeless. And they capitulated quickly. Yeah. At the same time, Syria was maybe a couple of beats behind our basically invasion of Syria, trying regime change operation in Syria, a couple of months maybe. They saw the people, the government, everybody saw what happened in Libya, how fast it fell and why. So yeah. they defended their press till the to the death. They they would not they were they immediately put into place a way to communicate that this basically was an invasion or whatever. Uh, they didn't relinquish the messaging. And because of that, Syria still today is still fighting the same battle that took Libya immediately. Libya fell in what, not even a year, right? And Syria has been fighting on since that time. That's interesting. And that's what I, they say. It, it, that was the difference maker. Yeah. Laswell talks about the propaganda of the deed, the deed aspect is the propaganda in that you illustrate your power, kind of like you talk about how, you know, if they're going to have a problem with somebody, they're going to show them the Zapruder film. You illustrate your power with an act, and the effects psychologically on the public of witnessing that act is enough to make them police themselves, to oh, hold themselves yeah. back. Nail the squirrel to the tree, as my Yeah, exactly. My granddad uh, told me he was going to do that once. I was like, are you keep all the other squirrels up yeah. in there? <laughs> it's going to scare people away if you have a squirrel. <laughs> well, I'm sure that was that would he wouldn't have minded that. Maybe that was part of the plan. Right. Too. Yeah, I wouldn't rob somebody with a squirrel nailed to the wall outside the door. All right, the reaction to the Cambridge Analytica thing. I just want to play you a quick montage of. The reaction of some people on MSNBC, on 
CNN, just, you know, the typical commentators, just their blatant call for regulation. And two of the people who you hear in here are Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana and Senator Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota, who has presented a bill to Congress regarding Facebook already. So here's the way that everybody's outraged over Facebook's data mining scandal or whatever it is in the government have to start looking at it differently just like you protect people from rotten tomatoes or you protect them if their credit card information is stolen we have to protect them when they innocently go on the internet they're going to have to want some rules of the road in place um, so that we have a way to monitor this and to work with them so that we don't have these bots bombarding our sites and that we don't have illegal ads uh, put there and i've been Really frustrated that they haven't supported the Honest Ads Act that I have with Senator McCain and Warner, uh, because that's all we're saying there is just follow the roads, the rules of the road that we have for print, that, media, and TV and radio. Our, our larger issues that can only be answered with uh, Facebook's involvement. If, now, if they if they don't want to be involved, this is America, you know, within reason, you can do what you want. But I, I think Congress is probably going to go forward. A lot of people have been bringing up this idea that uh, the data is is a civil right, that it's a human right. This is all your personal private information, and you're just, we're the product, and it's just being sold uh, without anybody's knowledge. And I think a lot of people are starting to understand that this marketing ad tech tool that would just sell you a better pair of shoes online is now being used to influence democracy, and that is really startling. And as soon as the American yeah. public wakes up to it, I think Facebook uh, will have to respond more forcefully. They're going to have a tactical decision, though. It's almost like the NRA. Are they going to agree to a degree of regulation or run the risk that Senator Klobuchar and her colleagues are not just going to regulate them lightly but heavily? They've got a big decision to make. We have this election coming up. Yeah. We've got to get the election infrastructure protected. We have to protect our democracy. Now, before you comment, I want to play you a quick short clip from Wiley again, remembering the very end of that clip I just played you. Just to kind of show you the coordination that's going on. And not only are you like playing with the psychology of, of an entire nation, you're playing with the psychology of an entire nation in the context of the dem democratic process. They all are talking about saving democracy. Yep. First of all, something I said earlier about the censorship is about building trust. Censorship, they, they always... They use these tools to build trust. They want to build trust in the democratic process. That is going to benefit them. That's what it's for. What we should have is skepticism. But something she said, that whole conversation is very interesting because, you know, if you've heard me as an anarcho-capitalist, my last, the last kind of pin to fall for me was copyright and intellectual property and, and that that it isn't a real property right and that the government should not protect it. But our data is a property right now. That's what I'm it saying. Needs to so be protected it by never them. It occurred to me the extension of the, of the fallacy of, pro of intellectual property that, because my underlying thing of why I don't think intellectual property is property is your thoughts are your own. And they certainly espionage and fraud and stuff is not okay. People can't hack into your computer. That's entirely, you know what I mean? That's not okay. Uh, yeah. I have to think a little harder about that. But 
No, but but if you let your information out into the world, if you beam it across airwaves and somebody grabs it out of the air, I can send an armed guard over to that guy's house and wrench it back out of his hands after I threw it out there. I had the right to keep it to myself, but I did not. Yeah. yeah. Same thing with my personal data. I have the right to I don't have a right to buy shoes through Facebook. I mean, if I want to get out there and take the risks, then I can do that and I should protect myself. Where's McAfee when you need it? McAfee built the virus protection. We didn't need the government for that. He could also build all of this. He could build all of it. It could be privately built and then Facebook and other companies could privately buy it or you could take your chances or you could buy it yourself. They're using this as an excuse she said we need to alert the public to the dangers of it. She I mean she said it explicitly, we got to alert the public to the dangers of it so that they you know they can beg for the regulation and she framed it in the terms of it being a right because yeah. that's how you get progressives to beg for regulation. Healthcare is a right. Everything Bernie Sanders says is a basic fundamental human right because <laughs> that's how you get progressives to vote for it if they think they're being robbed of that human right. Voting isn't even a right. And, and it's not a pre- privilege either. It's just a mechanism we use to effect our covenant of mutual defense. It's funny so, because the Russian, revolu- Russian revolution, the Russian election was on Sunday and Putin won 72% of the vote and there was 67% participation. And they're like, see, it was a scam. Yeah, I it's know. Like, well, why was it a scam? It had huge turnout and you, you're much better than we do. And I expected them at some point to throw in, well, he forces people to vote. You could ask that question that you just asked on Facebook and you might get sued for defamation because that's a conspiracy theory. You're, you're defame the people who say that it's obviously rigged. That's where this is going. In fact, these two clips illustrate what it's all about right here. Very short, very succinct. I'll play them back to back. This is the question that Congress is going to answer for us. This is what is truly going to be regulating. I think everyone can agree that poison is being spread on the Internet. Right. But but you quickly get into First Amendment issues. The critical question is, what is poison? If you have a bifurcated media market where there are people who believe that there's real news and fake news, then you need an established messenger that they believe is a real messenger to come in and actually break through that dichotomy. We've talked about this a lot, but that's what they're going to be regulating. What is and what is not poison on social media? And Facebook, you are only allowed to publish what is not poison. That's what Vern Jordan called for in November 2016. And I wrote it. Can I just read this This. Thing You know, when you look Please back, do. when you look back, you could say, well, it was obvious it was coming. It wasn't. I wrote this article and I was like, no, listen to how they're talking. Listen to what they're asking for. This is what he said. The great new institutions of the 20th century, print newspapers, the evening broadcast news, the trusted anchorman are fading relics. The trusted anchorman. Those people were like CIA agents. Operation Mockingbird. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. In their place, we have unlimited information, unfiltered all the time. Yesterday's news institutions were far from perfect, but they served an important civic role. They served as filters of information, sorting out facts from lies and truth from innuendo. They gleaned the significant from the frivolous. People in technology, media, and telecom and the telecom industry must ensure that we are protected. 
We yeah. need we need to use technology's capacity to clearly and quickly delineate facts from lies, regardless of their source, and to develop media that require civility, require civility and respect when people exchange opinions. Require. That's what Melania Trump is calling for. Absolutely. That is what this is right now, and that is what they're going to be asking Facebook to do. I told you about how conspiracy theorists are being sued. Let me play you a clip related to that. Let me just reiterate that here's the thing about this quote is it proves what we were talking about earlier about the problem-solution crisis and that the that the solution they're offering right. isn't necessarily a response. So, yes, yeah. he doesn't use the word fake news, but it is clear before the fake news PSYOP was launched that, that they were calling for uh, using media technology and telecom to censor, to curate the news. They were calling for that before there was public outcry. Then they generated the public outcry, which you have highlighted, and now we are getting to this agenda, which he laid out two years ago, year and a half ago. Yeah, I was trying to find that quote that I. Sorry, read did I derail you? No, no, no. You're right on point with what we're talking about. This is President Roosevelt in his address to Congress, January third, nineteen forty. President Roosevelt, in his address to Congress on January 3rd, reiterated his call for national unity, and he warns of those seeking to muddy the stream of our national thinking. Weakening us in the face of danger, we must combat them as we would the plague. We cannot afford to face the future as disunited people. What he's saying is anybody who questions and causes uncertainty They don't need to be getting their opinions out there, and that's the same thing that's going on right now. The Fortune Roundtable in 1940, this is a quote. To obtain unity against a foreign danger, a democracy must inevitably curtail discussion. A sense of pearl demands sacrifice, particularly in respect to civil liberties in order that the nation may survive. That's what's going on. Let me just point out also that was World War II. Wilson before World War One and Lincoln before the Civil War. Lincoln definitely put journalists in jail. I think Wilson might even have put legislators in jail or maybe Lincoln did that. But they both did the press and one or both of them did legislators. And then uh, I was thinking you put legislators in jail. I believe there there might have been a legislator or two who went to jail uh, under one of those guys for um, basically objecting to our entry into those wars or starting those wars in the case of Lincoln. But um, Adams, John Adams, the second president in 1798, signed the Alien and Sedition Acts, which was highly controversial, um, actually goes down in history as a big black mark on him. That's because he wanted to uh, join against France. I think he wanted to fight France on the sea. And what he did, this was you couldn't... um, If you published objections to that, I believe he called it sedition. And then the last thing I will say is the famous speech by JFK, where he talks about this dark, malevolent force in the world, this cabal, this conspiracy. Uh, He talks about that, and everybody takes that quote out of context. They play that clip as proving that there are secret societies and conspiracies, whatever. That may be true. I think he was talking about communism. But the punchline of the speech, which was to the press corps, was, so please allow us to censor you 
because we're fighting a bigger war than you even understand. So in every case, they want to fight wars. They absolutely have to get ahead of it with the press. And you pointed out that's what's happening now. That's I believe it because there's like five other things that I'm seeing. I'm happy to rattle off. That makes me think we might actually be headed to a hot war. I would like to hear them. I think you might be right. All right. So this censorship, immigration, like throwing people out, the Alien and Sedition Acts, the aliens, um, they were worried about their ability to be loyal or maybe take the other side. I don't know. But also throwing out immigrants and closing the borders to tariffs and trade and all that kind of locks you down. Um, And uh, especially if you're trying to reduce imports of steel and aluminum and become um, kind of – industry independent as a way to manufacture war materials. There's a lot, a lot of saber rattling and calls for hostilities from North Korea to Iran to Russia. Uh, Military, we're insisting that our allies in the Western Europe build up, meet their NATO obligations for like 2% of their GDP for military spending. They're really insisting military spending go up. Our military spending has gone up and busted through those uh, sequester ceilings. We have nothing but generals and hawks in the White House. That's scary. The first law Trump signed was, I believe, to make, was it Kelly? Was Kelly Secdef, Secretary of Defense? It was, I believe it was um, to allow, or maybe it was Mattis. I don't know, but I can't remember. But it was to make a general uh, secretary of defense because that's against our law. We don't want the military. We need the civilian control of the military so it doesn't get too martial, too warlike. And then things like Brexit, where if that really goes through, it isolates our ally. England would be our ally, if not our master. And they are also – there's some people – in the UK who are suggesting that Cambridge Analytica and Facebook might have been the reason for not only Trump, but for Brexit. And Rupert Murdoch's newspaper over there was promoting Brexit. That guy didn't do that because he's some kind of freedom fighter is worried about, you know, the, the libertarians in the UK. But the last thing is we're, we are on the retreat in Syria I don't know how it's going in Ukraine, but to the extent that this is a very simple that this uh, that I try to read geopolitics into. uh, I mean, some people bring it all the way to the level of the occult, which I don't really do, but uh, I think of it as multi level chess. However, even on the most basic level of this is a war about energy resources, production and um, and supply that that's why Syria and Ukraine are the hotbeds because that's where those are the crucial um, entry points, bottlenecks, whatever, to get gas into Europe. And, uh, and that's why that's maybe our, the reason that we can't get Russia fully on board with like our world corporation, because they feel like they have uh, a real bargaining position and could vie for that place at the top of the hierarchical scaffolding that I was talking about earlier, that maybe that's what this is about, like getting the last, you know, that last piece of power that Russia has to resist 
And that is in the form of gas supplies to Europe, let's just simplify and say. The, I think we're on our heels in Syria. So that's why maybe hot war is what we're preparing for. And I, and I really only believe it because I'm not being fed it. If I was being spoon fed that narrative, then I would question it a little. You know, I'm, I'm resisting it because I hate it, but I fear it. And I think you might be right that the censorship stuff and certainly the surveillance plays into that. That is definitely one of the signals that is common leading up to war. And I got one more to add to your list. I've talked about this before. The Chatham House report in uh, 2015 that was released shortly before Brexit entitled The Russian Problem or The Russian Challenge. They talk about the problem of Russian nationalism and how people in America need to be aware of the Russian nationalism problem. And what are we going to do to stop this problem of growing Russian nationalism because it is an obstacle to our international order. That is very explicitly laid out in that paper. One of the authors of that paper, his name slips my mind, Sir Something, but it is the guy who met John McCain, I think it was in Canada at some conference, and hooked him up with the dude who had the Russian dossier. That's so interesting. And talk- it does, yeah. yeah, We talked about that paper maybe even a year ago, because when I first read it, I was yeah, like, Yeah, oh I remember you talking about that a long time. Exactly. The British, they manipulated us into World War One, into World War II. Like, we wanted to be neutral, but they... Well, some say, if you read that uh, preparata conjuring Hitler, and he's not, like, a denier or anything, he's just, uh, he just lays out the um financial manipulation that took place between World War One and World War Two yeah. that gave that that he says deliberately gave rise, and you can tell by the way who financed Hitler, that deliberately gave rise to that force that would be so internally destructive, like literally cultural implosion in Germany, which was the big threat to England. But I will say that Chatham House paper seems to dovetail with two other things. One is probably around that time, maybe a little earlier, I've mentioned this numerous times, that George Soros said that uh, fear of Russia will will renew the EU experiment in the face of this bond market crisis. That really? don't worry. Oh, yes. And I never could find the quote, but I remember it. Absolutely. So there's no question in my mind. It was the the bond crisis. And I was like, how is Europe... They, of course, say we have a we have this crisis, therefore we need more government. But everybody knew it was the government that had created the crisis. It was this unity that created the crisis. And Soros said, don't worry, EU will stick together for because fear of Russia will um, will keep them to will unite them. And then now fast forward to this week. You have all that what I was listed down the line of some of the reasons I expect I fear we get closer to hot war is that the news, the headlines in the newspaper day after day are um, look just like chapter headings from books about how World War One started, how World War Two started. And it is specifically that the spies were killed in the UK by a poison made only in Russia. Uh, yeah, that's what I, I was about to say. Yeah. You know how hard it would be to actually find a poison made only in Russia that would literally have your signature on it? Why would you do it on purpose? Right, and we already know the CIA can create fingerprints for digital stuff that makes it look like Russia. So who's they can just lie? Yeah, just smuggle it out. Yeah, yeah. What greater fear than believing that 
they're just, you know, sending poison to your country. <laughs> At any moment, you might drink Russian poison and drop dead. I don't know a ton about the story yet, but anytime they come to such a quick conclusion and they demand action and they demand you to support that action, when they immediately came to the conclusion, then that means they don't want you to think about it. They, they don't want any discussion. They want you on board. And that's when I'm like, there's something they're not telling us. There's something they're being a little well, it was uh, right before the Russian elections. And I don't know. I mean, surely they didn't think they were going to actually derail Putin in that. But I was watching the BBC and it was so, so hilarious because it had their correspondent on the ground in Moscow working for the BBC. That's important. Yeah. Important to remember it's for the BBC. And she is she is like practically spitting. The words, well, as reported in state media here in Russia, state media, <laughs> state media. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so I looked it up. I was like, okay, the BBC is owned and operated by the British government, right? I mean, that makes it state media. So I looked it up, and it says, like, in Wikipedia or whatever, it is not state media. It is owned by the people of Britain. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? Like the People's Republic of China? Yeah. It's not It's not the government that's running the government. It's the people that's running the We're government. We're not allowed to criticize them is what it's down to. Oh, that's interesting. But anyway, it started as a project of, I believe, the War Department of England. So, Don't you remember when on the WSB show I said something about the British <gasps> manipulating us into the war? And this is on the record. Like you can read, I mean, open acknowledgments about how we were lied to about the reason for war and how. Oh, how about the Lusitania? Yeah, they, they, the, it, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm Churchill, talking about World, yeah, yeah. World War One. The Churchill. There's many quotes of Churchill saying, "I just we have to do more to get the United States into the war." They had operatives all over the country deceiving our highest level officials and our most. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, And I said that, and somebody called in and said I sounded like. What Charles Lindbergh? So he was insinuating that, that I was a Nazi, Nazi. <laughs> simply because I pointed out something that can be verified easily. But we're not allowed anything that doesn't say yes enthusiastically. I'm certain without any evidence or any thought that Russia is guilty of this. I'm sure Russia is guilty of a ton of things, but the UK ain't no angel either. And they have a history of deceiving us into fighting other people's wars. And committing atrocities. I mean, that's what where people don't understand. It's not heroes versus villains. That's not how it works. It's right. villain. It's villain versus villain. Yeah. They, because they go in there, like that carpet bombing or whatever it was uh, you call fire bombing of Dresden. If I understand it correctly, they created a fire so hot that it sucked all of the oxygen out of all of the, the areas. Everybody died. And then that, in return, as the air from the surrounding area rushed in, created a giant explosion, maybe even a mushroom cloud, and just leveled that city, killed so many civilians. It was unconscionable. I mean, that was something that was absolutely a violation of any tenets of war. It's not true that's all all's fair in love and war. It is not true. You cannot kill civilians and consider yourself moral. And that's what they did to terrorize those people, probably into capitulation. Sometimes they do it after capitulation is is a fact, like in Japan. the We dropped those bombs. Their terms of surrender were the same before and after. We say there was unconditional surrender. There was not. There is still an emperor in Japan to this day because they would they would sooner all die 
then give up their emperor. And we knew that. And that was their only condition. It was the condition before we dropped the nuclear bombs and after. Uh, but so it wasn't for capitulation. I, I actually, from what I've read, it was more like a science experiment. And you can find 20 generals, like the big ones, saying it was unnecessary. It was an atrocity. So I'm just saying it's villain versus villain. And, and to think we just are going to keep getting into this cycle of killing millions of people if we don't stop and think we don't want wars. That's why they have to control the information. That's why they have to have surveillance and censorship. That's why they have to have all this mind, right. this brainwashing stuff, because we don't want it. What is it for? I got two Harold Laswell quotes for you. He's written a bunch of books on propaganda. I talk about him a lot. He's a, a scholar on propaganda from the 20s and 30s. Well, I mean, he died in like Is that Yale 70s. Law School? Yeah. Um, he was one of the elites. A lot of the stuff he wrote, he was writing to other elites. But he wrote, so great are the psychological resistances to war in modern nations that every war must appear to be a war of defense against a menacing, murderous aggressor. There must be no ambiguity about what the public is to hate. And then he goes on to say, a handy rule for arousing hate is if at first they do not enrage, use an atrocity. It has been employed to unvarying success in every conflict known to man. And he goes on to talk about how that's how you get people to rationalize killing the civilians like you were talking about. That's so sick. Do you have that book in your hand? I have the quote in a document. Okay, because the book that I read of his – uh, national security and individual freedom, which is just so hilarious because uh, maybe we can trace back to that moment where they conflate security with freedom. It's so sick that you, you hear that all the time. Like on Fox, you think you think you freedom and security are the same thing. People think that we have a trade-off between freedom and security, but it's the same thing because you can't be free unless you're secure. And it's like, well, but you're calling things security that are not security. You're calling total censorship, martial law, total surveillance, security. It, yeah. you know, that's not, what is that security? That's your security against yeah, yeah. us. But in that book that I have of his, it's it was financed by, commissioned by a consortium of corporations oil companies, automotive. I mean, that still kind of freaks me out a little bit because, I, you know, my knee jerk is always to look to government, but of course, as the bad guy, but of course, government is just people. Government's nothing more than people. So are corporations. So is money and power. You know, it's always, yeah. it's really just people. And, uh, and I just think it's telling that he's working for people. They asked him to. Well, he's a, he's a social psychologist. Yeah. And he's doing social science research. This is the research. For people who yeah. have an agenda. Right. Exactly. This this is the type of research that the people like at Cambridge Analytica that they're talking about. I have a quote in a document. Okay. Because the book that I read of his uh, national security and individual freedom, which is just so hilarious because maybe we can trace back to that moment where they conflate security with freedom. It's so sick that you hear that all the time. Like on Fox, you think you think you freedom and security are the same thing. People think that we have a trade-off between freedom and security, but it's the same thing because you can't be free unless you're secure. And it's like, well, but you're calling things security that are not security. You're calling total censorship, martial law, total surveillance, security. Yeah. You know, that's not what is that security? That's your security yeah, against yeah. us. But in that book that I have of his, it's it was financed by, commissioned by a consortium of corporations, 
oil companies, automotive. I mean, that still kind of freaks me out a little bit because, I, you know, my knee jerk is always to look to government, but of course, as the bad guy, but of course, government is just people. Government's nothing more than people. So are corporations. So is money and power. You know, it's always, yeah. it's really just people. And, uh, and I just think it's telling that he's working for people. They asked him to. Well, he's a, he's a social psychologist. Yeah. And he's doing social science research. This is the research. For people who yeah. have an agenda. Right. Exactly. And this, this is the type of research that the people like at Cambridge Analytic that they're talking about they, that based on this research, what's the school? Ah, it slips my mind. Um, where they specifically focused on it. And I think it was like based on Freud's psychology. This is the research that they base their techniques of manipulation on. That's the type of stuff that lasts well, right? So that's why I not like not the London School of Economics. No, it's that's not. That's super that. subversive. But no, 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 I think it starts with a T. I can't remember. The Tavistock Institute? Yes, that's it. Tavistock. I have a couple more clips I want to get through. There are lawsuits against conspiracy theorists, not just InfoWars. InfoWars is one of them, but others as well. This is Brian Stelter from Reliable Sources, which is the most unreliable show if you're <laughs> looking for truth in the world. I kind of put together a montage of clips of him interacting with the person who is suing. There was another lawsuit this week targeting people that promote conspiracy theories. This lawsuit uh, is trying to take Jones and InfoWars and others to court saying they're responsible for promoting hoaxes that actually are defamatory toward the people involved. Let's talk about this lawsuit with Brennan Gilmore. He is the plaintiff in the case. Brennan, I don't have much time, so I want you to tell me what the case is, what, what you say was defamatory in all the talk about you on InfoWars. People said that I was a CIA uh, asset who was sponsored by George Soros or Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton or, or you name it, uh, to help orchestrate the violence that we saw in Charlottesville last August. Uh, they took my, my service to the United States as a Foreign Service officer and twisted it uh, into a long story of, of lies. There are obviously strong protections for media organizations, even ones that are, that are revolting, like InfoWars. So how do you expect to win? Alex Jones and these people um, sort of feel like they have impunity to say whatever they want and hide behind the First Amendment and, and claim that any challenge um, to, to the lies that they spread um, our protected speech. And we think that, uh, that the Fourth Amendment does not protect um, speech that, uh, that is demonstrably false. There are laws uh, that we believe uh, govern uh, responsible journalism, and they do not abide by them. So you're, you're using the court process to challenge conspiracy theories. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's also interesting that his lawyer, who was the other guy talking, is from the Georgetown Civics Institute, very oh, yeah, high-level sure. organization. And yes, I believe that. Uh, first of all, he can't take conspiracy theories to court. Oh, he you know who that guy is? Specific. That guy is the guy who filmed the crash. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I remember at the time, I of course come out and I'm like, "This is obviously controlled opposition." It's they sent. Um, agents provocateur in there on both sides to create a problem. And of course, I always sound like the conspiracy theorist, but then Rush Limbaugh, who's, I, well, that guy would probably say was a conspiracy theorist, but he's like, oh, this this guy on the right was really a guy from the left. And I, I don't think that's this guy who filmed that crash. 
He was a foreign service officer. Did you hear that part? I heard him say that, but I, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, I knew that there was something coming out of that. Like it was the, oh, I the time talking like, about it, yeah. influences were too strong there. And I knew we were being spoon fed that, but, but whatever his lawsuit is, it's not against conspiracy theories. It's defamation. If he's saying there are laws or I don't know, but I mean, it could be other things. If he's saying there's laws, these guys are not abiding by, then it's intentional falsehood, I guess would be the way you'd have to sue. And, and that should be happening all the time. Like I will not forget when the Malaysian flight went down over Ukraine, <laughs> like on the heels of MH370 going down over the South China Sea, Shep Smith said, Putin just killed 300 people. <laughs> That's what he said. So uh, I, I just was like, okay, Putin should sue him. But of course, Putin's not going to sue him. But people think that we sue all the time. And that's why no one on the news says anything false. But there are several suits that like uh, that, that thing with the cows, the, it was out of far, whatever it was where, where the, they, the journalists put out a report on how cows have a lot of hormones in them. And Fox told them, because Monsanto told Ailes, who ran Fox, to change, to just change the facts and the story to make it look less bad. And they said no, and they sued, and they won. And then the appeals court said, the news is entertainment. Just like when the gambler sued the NFL for fixed game, the judge said, the NFL is entertainment. You're not entitled to the truth. So I don't know if those laws even really apply anymore. They certainly don't apply in print. We see these these misleading headlines all the time, and every single solitary source is anonymous. So it's just a pack of lies. Right. You can't sue yeah. generally. Alex Jones can't get convicted of peddling conspiracy theories at this juncture. Legally, yeah, you're right. And I don't think there's any way that he would win the lawsuit. But like we talked about earlier, this puts the question in people's minds. One of the things that sort of thing will do is chill the real open source amateur journalists who yeah will be afraid want yeah. To, yeah it's just the chilling it's the panopticon we're watching yeah it's that propaganda of the deed yes. kind of like we were talking about they see what happens they don't want to get sued yeah i'm standing firm on on that noah posner stuff i took one of the pictures down then it came after for the other stuff i'm gonna stand firm on it but it's not gonna be you were emailed again Yes, with more takedown notices, which, of course, is the most ominous sounding thing. Takedown notice. We're taking you down. Yeah, it's a threat is what it is. It's pretty bad. WordPress said they were going to defend me. And then they said, but of course, if you don't want trouble, because he could come after you directly. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm on, you know, the thing is that I actually, because I have a radio show on terrestrial radio. Those are real rules. You know, there are rules. They, you know, they have lawyers. You can't, like, you don't, you can't play a song for more than 30 seconds. You know what I mean? They, they recognize it's a copyright issue. The guy says he has against me. Well, and that's what that lady said. She said, Facebook needs to adhere to the same rules that radio adheres to, the television adheres to. Yeah, well, I'm going to see if maybe I can, you know, ask some of those lawyers what the, what the rules actually are. Cause I think it's what they call a nuisance. Suit, but I the first time they sent this to me, I did take the picture down. I was like, I'll, as a courtesy to this guy, you know, maybe he's got real issues. And then I thought, why is he suing me? Why isn't he suing the BBC? I was just reposting a picture that I got out of the BBC. 
which is in the public domain. Yeah. Um, all right. Me. Oh, well, we can fight it. People fight it throughout history. Now, you see, you can't be depressed. That doesn't <laughs> – it's not as scary as it seems. Just listen to uh, Alinsky. I don't know. I just – now I worry. Like, I, it, censorship is coming. We What we're talking about – like, when they did that Sheriff Israel thing and took my thing down – for criticizing an elected official for advocating an unconstitutional law. I just, you know what I mean? The like, worst it's elected official in history. Okay. The deep state, just like all this other stuff, we're being made aware of some of this stuff. And we talked about this a long time ago. You interviewed Ron Paul and talked about the deep state before anybody else talked about the deep state. So that is true. It was daring at the time. There's a poll. Yeah, exactly. There's a poll that was released, released uh, recently. That found that 73% of people believe that a deep state exists, believe that a collection of non-elected military intelligence, high-level people have too much influence on the policies and the decisions that are made by government officials. I'll play the clip. Mika reads the question, and then I'll play you their reaction to this because the way the question is asked is interesting. If you just ask somebody if they believe in a deep state, there some people are not going to know what it is. Other people are going to instantly reject it because their side rejects it as a conspiracy. But when you just read what it is before saying deep state, then the shocking thing isn't that 73% of people believe it exists. The shocking thing is that 27% of people actually said, no, that doesn't exist. How could you not believe the words that they use in some of these clips to think there's a group of intellectuals that are manipulating it? Bernays uses that exact language. I've seen that many times. This is Brzezinski Mika's father. This group of people who is on Morning Joe having this conversation is – Richard Haas, who is the president of the Council on Foreign Relations. Didn't he used to be? No, that's Bolton, who was the U.N. ambassador. It's yeah, Haas. Mika Brzezinski. Everybody knows about her. Yeah. It's David Ignatius, who is also a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. These are a bunch of people who are in the deep state acting <laughs> shocked that the, the public believes in them. So oh, first so I'll play the clip and then I'll play their ridiculous reactions to it. Okay, here's here's her describing the poll. More Americans now believe that national policy is being manipulated or directed by a deep state. That according to the newest Monmouth University poll, six in ten Americans believe that unelected or appointed government officials have too much influence in determining federal policy. 26% say the right balance of power exists between elected and unelected officials. While this view of the deep state looks to be growing more prevalent, only 13% of Americans are very familiar with the term, 24% are somewhat familiar, and 63% said they are not familiar. However, when Monmouth described the term as, quote, group of unelected government and military officials who secretly manipulate or direct national policy, nearly three in four Americans said they believe that the deep state exists. One in five said it does not. Now that one's an idiot. <laughs> All right. Now, here's the reaction. I, I put together just a montage of the reactions. <laughs> now, again, these are deep state actors reacting this way. 
and they're just shocked. I just want to know one thing about this deep state poll. It's a very dangerous thing when most of a country begins to believe that a small group in the country is manipulating decisions. We've seen that historically in countries that begin to break down. I've spent much of my life reporting from countries in the Middle East where people believe that. They're just, that, that conspiratorial idea of what politics is is so deeply embedded. If the United States is becoming a country like that, people really have to fight for democracy because if, if, if the most people think my vote's stolen, it doesn't yeah. matter, uh, then you get a situation where a, a demagogic leader, gosh, think of who that might be, right. that appeals to precisely that uh, feeling that people have, and then you really begin to go over the edge. And the idea that 74%, according to the Monmouth University poll, believe, as David pointed out, there is a deep state run by a military, political, intellectual hierarchy apart from government is devastating. And this is the gift we have gotten right. from Donald Trump. This is the gift we have gotten from him surrendering to Vladimir Putin, Facebook, and a series of events that have caused chaos in this country. So there is a cabal of influencers. It's just Putin. <laughs> yeah. So there's no Americans right. dominating yeah. America. They believe in that just, conspiracy. But... Right. Exactly. Why? Something very scary about what the first guy said, though. He said that this is the kind of thing that that causes society to break down. And I was thinking about that. Remember yesterday. what the guy said? The kid said at the beginning. What? To break down society. Oh, yes. 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 And. That's what he said, but there might be, I had another thought, which is ultimately what these guys know is important for their continued domination over this hierarchy, which I consider to be a, to a hierarchy that was established in an environment of scarcity and now, and that, you know, created war, hunger, phys physical and fiscal insecurity. But we don't have that anymore. It's artificial to make us think that we, we're in any kind of struggle because we're not. We could just work and eat and it would be fine. Like according to technology. We have the technology yeah, to yeah. feed 14 billion people. So, uh, but in order to keep this hierarchy in place, like the report from Iron Mountain talks about, we need fear of war, which is hard to for people to believe in this day and age that there really is. So we have to create a lot of problems. So they need fear of war, but they also... Their number one goal across the board is population control, as I think most people who scratch the surface at all realize that. They all conspire to do it. They had a good guys club, they called it, where Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and Oprah, I think they sucked Mark Zuckerberg in, and their number one goal as the good guys is population control. And I thought you could so easily... Uh, if there were, if they just disrupted the food supply, like an EMP or something really disrupted, like once you have driverless trucks, which are coming, uh, people would just kill each other. Yeah, you might be right about that. That's and so if they're trying they, to break down society, like I, would, I wouldn't put it past them. That's why they use identity politics. When yeah, people don't have to high. fight for their survival, yeah, yeah they got to keep people hot by you know, separating them, by fractioning the groups, just like the guy said right. in the first clip, the Cambridge Analytic guy. Um, that's the ideology of tyranny. And then if you, full, if you take something away, if then you introduce scarcity, you are going to then have – and you have the tribes all made up. 
right next to each other, you can have people killing each other. All right. For the last few minutes, I have some funny clips that kind of go along with the theme of revealing everything that we're doing, so to speak. Everything's just getting revealed, all these secrets. This is Mika. This is her reaction to the whole Cambridge Analytic Facebook thing. It's pretty funny. This is sort of a reckoning for a lot of these tech companies which have access to our information. I know that in some way you agree to it when you sign up for Gmail, but your emails are read. All of them. Every every single one of you. And you notice they even can give you prompts to respond like, yes, thanks. I'll call you later because they're reading your emails for a lot of different reasons. I can call my handler later. I would love to do that. <laughs> That's texts anyway. Right. Uh, 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 but they a, do. You know who reads it is Nielsen and stuff. Like the uh, uh, yeah, yeah. advertisers read. They do read. And but but she's telling that to us so we know not to communicate electronically. I mean, you, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I mean, as far as First Amendment, they can either censor and surveil and get you that way, or they can chill you and get you that way. You know what I'm saying? You oh, just yeah. stifle yourself. Oh, yeah. They create self-policing. Definitely. That's how they keep society down for ever since we stopped warring with each other. They had to make people believe they can't do stuff so that uh, they wouldn't disrupt the status quo. I know, but there's there are better ways. So people bash religion relentlessly. But if you think about it, I think more than half of the people in the world belong to one of the major religions – and and I believe all the major religions have the same basic tenets, which is control your own behavior and be charitable to people who can't take care of themselves. And uh, that's that's what you need. I'm not saying necessarily need religion, but that's what you need. You don't need people to be. The only reason to have people in complete control like that is because you want to enslave them or uh exploit them to get more out of them than you really deserve that's the old political means versus economic means you can either earn stuff or you can basically steal it by manipulating people out of it yeah and that's what they mean by social control yeah. it's it's to control people so they stay in the hierarchy which is expressly stated in the report from Iron Mountain you know depending on how you look at right. the report from Iron Mountain it certainly reflects reality. It's and, easier for them to hold people down than it is for them to raise themselves up to a higher level. Well, but there's no they need they want the hierarchy. They want they want most of everything, the most of the product. So the way they have to do that is to make sure there is a hierarchy. And there really does not I don't think there really needs to be a hierarchy anymore. If there ever did need to be, I don't know. But right now, we don't need it, and they can't do that because they need to dominate, but whatever. Okay, I got one that you're going to like because you make this reference quite a bit. I mean, this this one is just full of revelations and references designed to create fear. This is the senator from Louisiana. Kennedy is his name. He's actually a Republican. <laughs> this is his reaction to the Cambridge Analytic scandal. He wants to ask Facebook a few questions. Here's what he wants to know. Let's face it, they're no longer a company. They're a country. Their power is massive. Um, we're in a brave new world here. 
Um, I've got a few questions for Facebook. I, I want to know uh, to what extent, if any, when we're on Facebook, and I go on Facebook a lot, we're really uh, seeing a, con a contrived world made up by uh, Facebook uh, algorithms. It's, you know, sort of like Truman and the Truman Show. How about that? Wow. <laughs> All right, two more. These are short and sweet. This is Brian Stelter, who is the host of Reliable Sources on CNN. He always brings in Bernstein. Who's Bernstein? Carl Bernstein. The Watergate guy? Yeah. This is him talking about the reporting that's gone on since Trump was elected. We have seen in the last year the greatest reporting on the presidency, presidency of the United States by a great number of news organizations that we've seen in the last 50, 60 years in this country, by the New York Times, by the Washington Post, by the Wall Street Journal. How can you even say that with a straight face? That is the exact opposite. <laughs> and everything's bad. What I was saying before is like the, the whole point of Trump's huge, huge personality, it, I see really dog whistle by saying huge anti-semitic no you're doing not work by talking like that no but he, he is huge personality is there solely to prevent any actual reporting it seems to me his number one priority is to improv the soap opera constantly every day it's a soap opera i have one last thing to say then we got to go. Shoot. One of the first episodes we did of Propaganda Report was episode four, which was named Strategy of Tension. That's before you started naming them things like, watch this and your eyes will fall out. I never named them. <laughs> <laughs> Once it started getting crazy, I didn't even look at them anymore, which is why we're all in trouble now. Anyway, I named this one Strategy of Tension. And that's because it was about the strategy of tension. This was November... September 2016, and we were talking about how people were on edge because of black versus blue or some other thing was happening. I can't remember. Now, people are getting shot and bombed every every single day. Every single day. I walk around. I see an ambulance. I freak out. Like, I see a fire truck. I hear a siren. I don't freak out, but I'm just like, it could be happening here. But it's not like I think that the world has gone mad. I think there are false flags everywhere. I think it's another Operation Gladio. I'd have to call it Gladio 3. Gladio was one, one was when they killed all those people in Italy under false flags to keep the I communists. I thought it was A and B. I might be A and B, but you this would be C then. people to do the A, B, 3? Oh, it's A, it's A, 2, B. <laughs> it was from uh, Home Alone. Oh, right. So, yes, I do do that. It takes practice to get it right. So um, Gladio B is the radical Islamic stuff. And I'm going to say Gladio C is this domestic bombings and shootings. But what we talked about at the time, which I thought was a stretch. I was like, this is what, it, what the original one was. But here, I don't know what the real end game is. Now I think it actually is the same end game. If you look at people having armed guards at schools, which I predicted in my What to Watch Out for 2018 show, I will tell you, um, that you'd see armed guards in normal places. That is sadly another prediction that came true. But here, I'm just going to read you the definition of strategy of tension I wrote in the show notes of that show. All right. Which I pulled from a report on the strategy of tension in Italy. 
Quote, so-called strategy of tension was a campaign designed to lead to a breakdown of law and order and consequent collapse of public confidence in democratically elected government, precipitating a takeover by the army. Well. Drop the mic. (laughs) Because. Kind of. Yeah. Anyway, we could go on forever. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thank you to all of our patrons and everybody's donated on PayPal. Thank you. The only reason we can continue to do the show. It's why we do do the show. The reason I absolutely commit is that people contribute and uh, and I don't want to let them down. So thank you. Me thank either. You. I was behind on uh, posting stuff, but I am catching up on all of that. And just subscribe if you have it at uh, propagandreportdata.com. Click on the Apple or click on the Android sign. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Later. See you later.